Hi, and welcome to another episode of Pas de I'm your host, Jessica. And I'm your host, Clara. Uh, thanks for joining us once again, everyone. Uh, we're not going to have time to do an intro today, so we're just going to dive right into our interview. We actually have three people with us today, which is why it might be a little bit longer. We're really excited about this. Uh, we have Ron Hansa, whom we've spoken to before. If you're a diehard fan, I'm sure you know we've spoken to him twice. Um, we did one full-length interview with Ron in studio, and then we also spoke to him on-site at the Dance on Camera Festival a couple months ago. And today we also have um, Ron's producer, Nan Penman, with us. We also have a choreographer, Robin Becker, who choreographed the piece that's highlighted in uh, the film that we'll be talking about today, which is Into Sunlight by Ron Hansa and Nan Penman. Into Sunlight is an evening-length dance by choreographer Robin Becker, inspired by the book They Marched Into Sunlight, which was written by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and best-selling author David Marinus. The book portrays the tumultuous shift of cultural perspective caused by the Vietnam War through the lens of events in October 1967. By weaving together stories about soldiers in Vietnam with growing social and political unrest on the campus of the University of Wisconsin in the U.S., Marinus explores the effects of violence on both those in battle and those at home. Ron Hansa, executive director of Moving Pictures, first became aware of this dance project three years ago and was immediately drawn to the compelling subject matter based on Marinus' powerful nonfiction book. Working closely with Robin Becker and her dancers, Ron documented rehearsals and performance footage from the company's New York premiere, as well as their recent tour in Vietnam. He juxtaposes dance performance against provocative conversations with the choreographer, author, dancers, and several veterans, as well as family members and protesters who are highlighted in Marinus' book. So thank you three for joining us. And welcome. Thank, <laughs> thank Thanks you. for having us. Yeah. Nice to be here. First of all, tell us about how each of you became involved in the project. And in the process, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. I really began this work, the inception of this work, when the United States went into Iraq. Mm. And I was heartbroken and could not believe we were making this choice again to go to war. So I decided as an artist I needed to respond. And I began researching the topic of war, both from the classics to the modern era. Mm. And then I came across David Marinus's book. And I was so moved by They Marched Into Sunlight that I asked him if I could work with the book as the inspiration for my piece. So that's how it really began. The um, inspiration started much sooner mm -hmm. and uh, much later, earlier rather. And I did not set out to do a work about Vietnam okay. at all. I actually, it was the Iraq War that was really calling me to do something about war. But when I read David's book, I was so taken by the universality mm. of this and of what was going on in that era and felt it applied directly to what was going on in our current era. So I felt there was a universality that would transcend decades, actually. And I also really appreciated the scope of his book to really parallel 
the intense effort of those students who were protesting the war mm -hmm. and the soldiers who were fighting the war. And they seem like very different situations, but in fact, David really brings the similarities of this together. And it, it touched me deeply because I think ultimately I wanted to create a work that would contribute to the larger picture of a dialogue about healing and deeper understanding. And uh, as far as your background as a choreographer, do you have your own company or do you work with other companies? I do have my own company, Robin Becker Dance. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've had the company since 1987. Oh. So um, have been working for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. New York City based? Yes. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And then how did you get in touch with Moranis? He read his book and how did you find him and reach out to him? Well, I actually knew him, had been introduced to him through a friend. Uh -huh. So I called him up Great. and asked him. Great. <laughs> yeah. So for the film piece, how did that come together? Uh, Ron or Nan, whomever wants to start, let us know how you got involved. We were actually at Dance on Camera through um, Norton Owen, actually, of Jacob's Pillow, introduced us to Robin, although Ron and Robin actually have a curious long back history. Mm -hmm. So Robin and I just were standing in a lobby and started talking, and I she started telling me about this dance, and as you can tell, it's pretty compelling. Yeah. So I just became very curious. Um, as Nan said, we... Uh, met Robin and learned about her project. She was well on her way. I had to say that she had already been choreographing and, and, and producing this work. And it was uh, probably a few months away from her New York premiere. Uh, she, Robin has performed this piece around the country, but at, the, at this time when we met, she was about to perform it with her company in, in Manhattan for the first time. So it began as the opportunity to actually film the dance um, in a really great situation here in Manhattan in a, in a small a small theater um, that was uh, for a long weekend. It, it was uh, mounted for, I think, three nights or three days, uh, um, opened on a Friday and um, Saturday and a matinee on Sunday. And so the, the first production effort was to record the dance, uh, which we had an opportunity to uh, shoot with multiple cameras. And that was really the first time I had seen the work. And um, it was it was spellbounding. It was it was everything Robin had promised in terms in terms of uh, um, not only having certain the theatricality, but um, the the uh, power of the dance and and the messaging of what what was um, you know just was really um, apparent that this was a work that wasn't just a dance. It was clearly um, uh, based on uh, great storytelling. And, and you know, one of the things I'd like to say is there was never um, my initial interest in this project other than knowing Robin and knowing the work would be good and seeing the work, but I was very interested in the notion of a non a nonfiction book being used as an inspiration to choreograph a performance or a dance from. And I'm still fascinated by um, 
the collaboration and how Robin took the imagery of David's book and explored how movement would be expressed through these actual historical events. And again, there's no uh, intent here to represent it uh, as a literal, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, translation, but it's so powerful in, in how she takes the themes and the uh, issues that David writes about and, and brings it to the audience in a, in a very unique way. That's excellent. Can you tell us more about what some of those themes are that you brought to life and brought out into the piece? Many scenes that have to do with um I think the loss and the struggle of not only war, but violence and uh, the connections, the relationships, the uh, many both inner and outer dimensions of how a war affects a culture, uh, a whole society. I learned a lot about Vietnam uh, in creating this work, and I learned how it, the reach of the Vietnam War and the wounds of that war still live in our culture today. I really have to say I became almost surprised by that. Is that through talking with people who had been through it? Yes. Who are still? Yeah. Wow. Veterans and was a part of the research, you know, Interesting. veterans. And, mm-hmm. And actually, on that note, I'm sure that everybody is, you know, at least vaguely aware of sort of what the Vietnam War was and everything that happened. But just to make sure we kind of all start out on the same page with our listeners, can you guys briefly kind of contextualize this point in history since the book and the piece um, and the film then as a result centers on such a specific time of October 1967? Um, Maybe just if you could briefly highlight sort of what the cultural shifts were happening in that specific moment? Well, I, I, I was coming of age around that time. I was, uh, I was uh, which again is why I was very attracted to this project, or one of the reasons why I was attracted to this project. Um, I was uh, very much in the late 60s um, in college um, and threatened to be drafted into a war that I was clearly um, felt was politically incorrect. Um, I couldn't understand, and as many you know felt the same way, why we were fighting, or what we were fighting for, and what the what the real underlining purpose was. So. Um, I, I was attracted to um, this this whole era. It, you know, was it was really my coming of age, and I was an active protester. I, I actually went to uh, many marches in Washington D.C. Um, I was tear gassed by our own government in the process of trying to stop the war. Um, I, I wanted to score. I was just one of many. I wasn't some SDS leader. I wasn't like out there in the forefront, but I was. Uh, very active in in the realization that this was an unjust war. And the division that happened in our country um, is that there was a, uh, and David speaks to this really well in it throughout the book, is there was, um, there were, you know, 
choices that had to be made in terms of uh, being uh, either enlisted or drafted where you were forced to go to war, or in some people felt it was our patriotic duty to go to war. Um, so it cut across all cultural lines. And I think um, it, it's a division that even today, uh, I look back at my youth, and it, it, was, it was a really... Um, uh, important time. It, it really was a, an, um, a point in time where um, you didn't forget those experiences. They, they were really part of it was the, our age and our youthfulness, but it was the first time I was politically active, and I, I felt a need to um, respond to something, and that's what this work is about. So that was uh, what really attracted me to, to uh, you know, this whole notion of using that era as, as backdrop. Yeah. Did the draft, the draft happen, though, right? Didn't they draft for Vietnam? Or? Well, they did. It, basically, uh, I was, um, this is, you know, it's hard, as you know, we all have a volunteer army now and have for quite some time. But at this point in time, uh, there was an escalation in the need to increase the uh, um, you know, troops or the soldiers to go over there, and uh, they the draft system was in place already, but they act they really revved it up. So the day I graduated from college, I had a draft notice in my mailbox to to come on down and get a physical and go off to Vietnam. Oh my goodness! Wow. Did you you didn't end up going though you didn't have to no I mean I I had at that point some clear choices to make it was either go to Canada or figure out how to get out or 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 be threatened to be drafted and it was um, I was fortunate that I was able to um, you know uh, you know through medical you know small little medical had a, from a, being an athlete had a bad knee you know you used almost anything you could as a physical handicap to say i'm not i'm not suitable so uh, anyway i was just lucky not to be you know and not not to be forced to make an even more severe decision either to leave the country or to go to war and was that all kind of coming to a head then in October of 1967 with everything? Well, to be just cut to, I mean, what's unique about this period, and certainly what David uh, represents in this, in this, um, uh, in his book, is October '67. The Vietnam War had been going on for a little bit; it has been escalating. Uh, but the protest that uh, is written to is at University of Wisconsin Madison, and that was really the first, and 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 there were many perhaps, but that was the most significant um, protest against the war that turned very violent it was it, it raged for a couple of days um, we'll talk more about that but that was a very um, clear event that was made the headlines made a lot of um, journalists picked up on it so it was I think one of those first real um, points in, in history where students in particular were taking a stance against the war and it was also a time when um, the Johnson administration was trying to get more boots on the ground. So they were really increasing the, the number of people. Uh, and there was a, an understanding, or at least their point of view, was if we got more people over there, uh, this was a point in time in American history where we just come off a very successful World War II, successful meaning we won the war and we felt we were invincible. So there was no question that if we threw enough man 
manpower at this and, and, and um, you know, made a determination we were going to win this war. And, of course, the question is, what were we winning? Uh, this, is the, this is the thing that no one quite understood yeah. politically, um, that they felt invincible. David also brings out another fascinating point in his book about really what was happening behind the scenes in Washington, D.C., too. We have to remember David wrote this book 40 years after this time. Mm -hmm. Um, He was actually a student at the University of Wisconsin and 40 years later began to get curious about what else was going on in the world of significance that day, and he learned about the battle in Vietnam. But he also uh, really did a lot of research on what was going on in Washington, D.C., and while um, more boots on the ground were being called for, the information really behind the scenes was that it was going to be very hard to win this war. But publicly, they were saying, we can win this war if we just get more manpower there. So so it was um, a really highly charged time. And I know uh, both of my brothers were of draft age, and that had really affected me. Um, yeah. I was in middle school, and I didn't want them to have to go off to war. And I also, um, you know, as a dancer, I'm deeply aware of the empathy about physicality and trauma and what happens to soldiers upon their return. And that was really a deep concern of mine. And I have to say, I grew up in a household uh, with a mother who was quite a social activist, so I have that in my blood. Mm-hmm. And um, I, looking back at that era, to see how students taking a stand really made a difference touched me deeply because I'm aware of younger people nowadays. The war has kind of been sanitized from we're in like three wars right now, and they're very far away from our lives, actually. Outside of our awareness completely. Outside of our awareness. And meanwhile, people are dying. There's a huge amount of suicide daily. I just read a number that for every soldier killed in Iraq, 18 will take their life outside of the battlefield. So it's an enormous, enormous issue. And I wanted to support bringing awareness to both what does it take to take a stand and care? How do we help people care enough to take action when it's kept so far away from us? And secondly, how do we respond to what the soldiers we've sent away, how do we respond? And so this work really wanted to, I really wanted to address both of those topics. So in addressing those two topics, um, earlier you mentioned that you did some interviews with Mm -hmm. some previous soldiers. Well, talking to veterans who are there, and you meet some Vietnam veterans who are still so happy they were there, and some Vietnam veterans are thought it was terrible and uh, 
mm. hate all war. You know, it's a very, you know, like our nation, quite a mixed bag of what happens. But, and I have to say, I met with protesters. And I know in my own life, my late husband was a conscientious objector. He was drafted. And he was really urged by his family to go to war. You know, he wow. would be shaming the family if he didn't do the patriotic thing. And he made a life-changing choice, life-shaping choice, to be a conscientious objector. And sir, and actually had to work worked with teens. You had to do alternative service then. Mm. And he worked for, I think, a year or possibly more with the Salvation Army working with teenagers at risk. Yeah. So, but he really had to go through that challenge of saying no, not only to the government, but his family. That's hard. Yeah, yeah. it was major. And he, this is just what was happening throughout the nation. I was younger in uh, early high school in 67, so I was kind of involved with other things, but my older sister was in college, so we were hearing about what was going on. It was a huge topic in, I think, most families around the kitchen table. People and Certainly, I mean, I back when Republicans were kind of a different group, at that point my parents were Republicans, and slowly everybody started realizing. I mean, it came a little later, as Ron said, not in 67 or Robin, but um, it really was in the fabric of our culture. People were talking about it. People were thinking about it, even if you weren't directly affected with having to go to war. Um, because of the, a lot of it, I think, because of the draft, that mm -hmm. it could touch mm -hmm. every family in the country. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of ways to weasel around it with grad school and this and that, but it was complicated and difficult, and um, it, it had deep prongs. Getting back to some of the opportunities we had in working in this project, uh, um, Robin and David were able to introduce us to some of the real people that came out of the book, i.e., you know, some of the uh, characters that were uh, highlighted in David's book. And one of them is um, an extraordinary gentleman, uh, Clark Welsh, who was the commander, uh, a lieutenant at the time, uh, in this battle that's profiled in, in, uh, into sunlight and into David's book. And it, it was extraordinary meeting Clark because um, he is a survivor of not only the Vietnam War, but this particular battle. And uh, he had such amazing, and he's, He's in the film, um, uh, interviewed, talking about his experiences and talking about, um, you know, just he not only was physically wounded, but he was mentally impacted by the choices he had to make as a soldier. So um, this, as a filmmaker, I was so not only amazed at how Robin was able to set some of these um, as I said earlier, these themes in her choreography and express this through motion or movement, I should say, but she, or, or meeting the actual people that uh, endured these events just made this subject so 
um, so extraordinary. And it sounds like you filmed the dance. It was one of the first times you said that you'd seen it, which is interesting, multiple cameras. Had you already decided at that point to do a documentary, or did the documentary project grow from there once you saw the piece and had filmed it? Well, I should say that the film is a performance documentary, so it, it's very much performance directed, and, and it is a dance film. Um, but the backdrop is the, is the ability to take all these different layers and experiences from the actual people, some of the people from the book, uh, and weave those, those people into the, um, into the fabric of, of what this film will become. And, and to me, uh, I'm very excited uh, based on the structure of this film because it's not only going to represent the performance and the process of um, Robin's choreography or, or at least watching some of this work get set in rehearsal and the development of it, but it also, as I said, incorporates the uh, people who actually came out of these events. And uh, we have not only um, uh, Clark, who experienced the Vietnam um, and back, you know, uh, battle, etc. But we had um, um, protesters. Uh, Robin, I think, you can explain in greater detail when we start talking about the sections of the dance. Um, but it, it, it is going to be, I think, a unique film um, uh, in terms of uh, the way it, it's layered. And one of the things I think that really helped was after meeting Robin and we'd read the book. Um, you had a back-of-the-house uh, film of the dance. Yes. And Robin came to our edit room, and it was, for me, a really moving experience because we stopped after each section, and she talked us through the dance. And that's where I think we went, ah, you, yeah. you know, that was a really important day. You had these powerful interviews with people who were deeply affected by this war in this time period. How did you bring that to life? Or what process do you go through? You know, between the imagery from the book, this is not a literal telling of David's book. What I need to say that David is such an amazing writer, even though it's journalism, you could almost feel like you're reading a novel because he gets to the humanity down to the details of, you know, what people might have been eating at a certain moment in time, you know, like he, he, what their relationships were, what their letters back and forth were, what their fears, you really gain um, access to the inner life of people. He's a very um, amazing as a journalist, I find, because you get the humanity of the people he's documenting so clearly. And that's what has such a universal appeal, I think, to all of his work, and especially in this piece. Um, how do I take his book, the interviews, and really, I have to say, and my life, mm. you know, as an artist? And I am moved by imagery, by symbols, and I begin when something sort of lands in my heart in a way and it starts to live there just really in this realm of mystery and imagination and 
I begin not having any idea how I'm going to go forward. Mm. <laughs> I just begin with using my intuition, kind of sniffing out the next journey, and I explore a lot. I am very process-oriented. You can talk to any of my dancers, who some of them I'm sure will roll their eyes <laughs> at, at sometimes the long process of discovery, of going very, very wide with possibilities, and then starting, then the point comes after like trying everything, of starting to select. And then again, that's very intuitive of just, and somehow, I almost think of the piece as having, um, when I create, I like to think of the piece almost ha like having its own life or its own spirit. And mm -hmm. I try to join with that. Um, and at times you'll find me even inwardly speaking to the spirit of the piece, <laughs> asking it what wants to happen next. Yeah. You know, show me. I'm not going to show you. You show me. And... Um, that's sort of the level um, I do work from. It's kind of mysterious. It's not clear-cut at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there's some listening there, too, where you're not trying to push something onto it. But, yes. you know, when you say this mysterious place, perhaps you are just listening to different influences and things. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. And the things through interviews that have really touched me um, have come out and have really informed the images then. Um, later in, uh, one veteran spoke to me how each day he wakes up feeling concerned that something he did as a lieutenant got one of his mm. men killed, and he wakes up every day to this day and wonders about that, and um, decided the only way he can handle that is to try to be of service and to offer support to other veterans, and really moving, and I think I really worked with that in the final section of this dance, and um, one powerful kind of the centerpiece of the dance in a way it has to sort of the crystallization of loss I would say is a really a duet um, and it was inspired by seeing uh, a photograph when I, I was 14 when this was all going on and I remember and you, I, you probably don't know what Life magazine is but <laughs> Life magazine had these all these big photographs back then, and I was looking at the photographs, and there was Arlington Cemetery, military cemetery, and all the rows of all the tombstones, and it was a long shot from far away up high, and you saw one figure embracing a tombstone on her knees, embracing a tombstone with her head back wailing in grief. And that touched me so deeply. Mm -hmm. And I never forgot that image ever. So that image, you know, something from my own life comes weaving in also, you know. So mm -hmm. for any artist, you're... Um, 
it's a very multidimensional process. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And although this film is not a process film, it's not uh, designed to, you know, watch the actual piece get, you know, produced or or, or set, we do cover a a fair amount of rehearsal and uh, watch um, or listen to Robin work with her dancers and, and not just teach them the choreography, which Robin can speak more about, but inspire them of what the emotionality behind this work is and where the movement comes out of um, the expression of the emotion. And, and I think that's an interesting part of the film to capture um, how that, you know, very often people say, well, how are dances made? You know, how do, how do, you, how do you do this? How do you initiate um, choreographing something? Um, so I think we've captured uh, certain um, moments where that translation or that moment where that dance got, I won't say invented, but certain aspects of the choreography got set based on, as Robin said earlier, exploring uh, how these images are set to, to, to the human body. And I found that really, really uh, just different uh, because often choreographers come in and they have a, a kind of a predetermined uh, sensibility. They, they've scored something and they know the music and they know this and they know that and they, it's really learning steps. And uh, matter of fact, I've worked with choreographers who don't even care what the dancers think <laughs> because they only want them to be instruments of their work and the only transaction is that's the step that's the way you do it it's not this it's not that it's exactly this and i think robin's work is um, completely reverse of that and she's using her dancers as a method or as a, a canvas to to explore um, how to set this choreography yeah and I just made a parallel in my head. I don't know if this is a relevant one, but when you're exploring what an image, how an image feels on the body or imprints on the body, I actually think of trauma because trauma does affect the body and imprints the body in a certain way. And so that's a fascinating approach to take and I think a relevant approach for something like this, something so personal for everyone. I would agree, and I often refer to the body as like the living library of our entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. And you are certainly, I think you're absolutely right about trauma. And I think this may be what's misunderstood about trauma also, because it lives on and on and on in tissue, which of course affects behavior. And post-traumatic stress disorder may be traveling on and on and on for generations through someone who might be handling it through being abusive. Then a child will learn how to handle things by being, you know, because now they're traumatized. And, you know, and it can go on and on and on um, until there's a deeper understanding of, how, of really the role of the body. And I feel like even if even if your cells are all replaced or something at a certain time and maybe 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 it's not, you know, maybe your body is literally holding on to certain scars, but maybe with some it's not, but it's tied to your mind in a certain way. I feel like there's also that tie that 
can reinforce some of the trauma or some of the experiences your body has had. And we see this in the way that we react physically sometimes to stimuli. You might get nervous and find yourself doing a certain thing that not other that other people don't do or reacting to a certain emotion in a certain way. And I feel like that's all sort of how the body carries the experience and the mind, like working together in an interesting way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the nervous system is um, becoming really hypervigilant mm. in trauma. Oh. And, you know, so the understanding and also trauma and speed, which, you know, our mm. culture goes so fast with everything. How fast can you be? How quick can the images go by? Both these elements of speed and trauma cause a type of disassociation and a type of shock almost where you're really not feeling anything. So even if the cells are changing all the time, but you're kind of not in there feeling. Interesting. How is anything really going to change? Yeah. You know, so it's these are big questions that really interest me. <laughs> <laughs> and part of why I think dance can be so powerful, actually. Have you ever uh, worked with vets with dance or movement? Have you ever taught a class that... Not specifically just for vets, yeah. but I have worked with veterans who I mentioned um, earlier when we first met this afternoon about teaching a somatic practice called continuum movement. And uh, which is all based on the body as a fluid system. And a lot of the dance world doesn't really know about this work yet, but I have found it really life-changing. I met it 26 years ago, and it really informs my understanding of what a body is. And um, I have had veterans who take my class and find that they gain extraordinary resources towards meeting memories that mm. typically would be debilitating and doing and when the memories come up they they share that they could meet it you know they could handle it so we are about but this is still a realm I'm really really interested in and we just received a grant from the National Endowment of the Arts to bring into sunlight two different um, military centers mm. to both share the work and and offer movement mm. uh, with veterans. So I'm I'm very very interested in learning more and more, and yeah. will be on a big curve of that endeavor for the fall. So that's something we'll be. Wow. embarking upon. One thing uh, we're curious about, since we read that you did present the piece in Vietnam, how, uh, what was audience reaction like, and were there mixed emotions? Well, we had really large audiences. So there was, um, each performance was sold out in all three cities. So there was an enormous amount of interest. Modern dance is still quite new, there's, there actually is a contemporary dance company in Vietnam, only one, but Together Hire is there. They're wonderful. But overall, um, 
contemporary dance is still quite new. Mm. So, of course, there are different reactions to the work. But most of all, I came away with just really feeling grateful for the extraordinary interest in learning this sort of side of the story of what's called the American War there. And um, the American War—that's interesting. Yeah, like I just never flipped it and thought about that. You're but right. of course, that's what they call it, the American War. And there was such openness and um, welcome. Wow. And many, I have learned that many veterans from the Vietnam War have felt the need to return to Vietnam to have some kind of healing and connection there. And they always say, you know, they're met with such welcome and really so much love that is... um, often unexpected. So it's there it's like a very open hearted culture wow. of understanding and And did you have a range of ages, even people who had been alive when the American War happened? I think we had some, but in general, you can speak more to this, Ron. Well, what's interesting, Vietnam uh, population is, is, and I don't know if it's a result, it could be the result of the war, is very young. It's a very young population of, 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 of people. And uh, we did have the opportunity to uh, tour three different cities um, throughout the country. So uh, I think we got to experience slightly different audiences based on where we were, some slightly more sophisticated than others. Saigon, for example. Was uh, or Ho Chi Minh City is probably more cosmopolitan. I think the audience was perhaps a little more, um, um, you know, performance directed. But some of the, uh, I think in Hanoi, this audience had probably never even seen dance before of this type. You know, of, of anything that represented the type of work that J- Robin does. So it was really interesting to uh, witness that, um, and then. I think the, for me, um, one of the, well, there were different things we did there in addition to uh, Robin performing with her company. Uh, we had the opportunity also to go to a local um, uh, national school of ballet, I believe it is, the Vietnam National, I always never remember the name correctly. Vietnam Dance College. Thank you. And this is uh, interesting. I mean, uh, the other history of Vietnam is, you know, it was influenced by the French and then eventually the Russians after we left. So there's a big, uh, I shouldn't say big, but there's a sophisticated uh, program for ballet, for formal ballet because of this history. And we went to this school that was principally a ballet school, but very, you know, very high level. I mean, these are students who were definitely learning their craft. And Robin did a workshop, which she used some of her technique uh, with these young 17-year-old Vietnamese ballet students with her company, with her dancers. And for me, this was um, a wonderful opportunity to film um, uh, an exchange between these dancers um, that used obviously dance as the language of the medium, and and even though everyone in the room couldn't speak to each other in terms of their native language, there was a instantly of a, 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 a relationship 
based on movement and based on being able to interpret, um, you know, the the movement that that uh, Robin was was using this workshop. So it was it was exciting to see that happen. And the ballet students initially, I felt were rather I wouldn't call it rigid, but they were formal. They were really designed to be on point and kind of first position, re <laughs> ready to do their their next thing. And um, I think their experience was so you you know different with this type of uh, movement that that and and workshop that Robin you know um, provided to them, and by the end of the class, you couldn't tell the difference between her dancers and the Vietnamese dancers. I mean, they were just all kind of moving in unison, and and of course using uh, an amazing fluidness of of interaction. So that to me was really an interesting you know scene in the film that that shares dance as a centerpiece of communication that's great that's amazing they caught on so quickly because usually you can tell for years if someone's a ballet dancer trying to do something else <laughs> and robin was extraordinary and, and, and i mean you don't just you know start cold you kind of build into this and she really had the ability to incrementally bring them along and then it was just magical what was going on in, in that you know in that rehearsal space. Yeah, that's great. So, tell us more about what you were bringing to life in the film. Um, I liked that personal touching story. And did you start with a particular goal in mind? As I said earlier, I was fascinated. Obviously, I, I, I thought the choreography and the work was was stellar, and I was captured by how you know just uh, powerful the work is and how it translates uh, you know these these themes of, of, of loss and sorrow and war and you know all these kinds of uh, um, uh, issues we've been speaking to but I think I, I was also really uh, wanted I've never worked on a dance film um, that was inspired by a book, and I was really curious what, how you could take the, um, again, not in a literal translation, but it's something that was a printed word, and translate it to movement. So that was my real initial exploration ex to, to take a look at that. I, I think the other really big piece for me is that starting with Robin and then everyone we've met through the experience is as Robin talks about being authentic. Mm. It is an incredibly authentic group of human beings. Wow. From David to Clark Welsh to Consuelo Allen, whose father was killed on the battlefield, to people who protest during the war. And I think people were very available and mm. open mm -hmm. and generous. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for Robin's dancers. And so, I mean, I think throughout this whole experience, I've always felt there was no, I don't know if I could pimp on like, oh, here was the goal, but here was something that every layer we kept going to, we kept meeting with people that were who they said they were, <laughs> that were, you know, very in touch with what the experience meant to them. Whether you agreed with them or not, you know, it just... So that's that's been really um, enriching personally. And sometimes I think your goals can evolve throughout the process as you Absolutely. meet people and <laughs> yeah, find out yeah. what it means to yeah. them. You know, you start with a goal, 
and then as you peel away the layers, as you were saying, um, do you feel that the piece sort of drove itself? And as you peeled away the layers, it told its own story starting from the book? Or did you find that you you found certain elements that you wanted to bring to light even more? Um, again, it's a dance film. So I, the first and foremost is to represent the performance and, and the choreography in, in context. Um, I, I'm always interested in dance, um, not just to see the dance, but to get the context in which the dance is created. And, and I think this is an example of uh, uh, where it is the texture and the tonality of the movement um, is, is really comes from a source. It comes from a place, and it's not just arbitrary. And I, I was curious to um, work on a project, work on a dance that had this kind of context and subtext. And I think uh, that's really, I hope, is what comes out in the film. Because uh, movement, as Robin will often tell me, uh, can express things that words can. I love that because so many times when I'm watching dance, or I have so many times when I've been watching dance, I've been a little frustrated as a dancer wanting to see more of the dance and more of the movement. And then you get a lot of you get a lot of things that don't always focus on that and, or even cut away. And it sounds like you're really focusing on the dance and then also giving us more. Um, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see the piece and the film. Is the piece still being performed? It is. You know, whenever we're invited, we'll now be doing it at these military centers. And wherever, wherever we're invited, we will. It's kind of we gather ourselves. And, Great. Yeah. Nan, yes. tell us more about your role in the film and how you came to be. Ron and I have a long history. I don't know if he's shared that, but we've worked together um, for close to 30 years. So we've done a lot of projects together. Really, this happened kind of very um, naturally and through relationship and knowing people and being at... Uh, a dance film festival and meeting a choreographer and then an interesting little tale which Ron or Robin can talk to is that Ron had shot something years ago that Robin was actually in oh, so they actually amazing. have yes <laughs> a storied past um, so I would say it's my involvement is very much organic with what my life and my work is, which is our company, Moving Pictures. How do so. you how do you guys split up? I guess the work in Moving Pictures. Who who tends to do what elements hmm. of the filmmaking process? Well, Ron's a director, mm -hmm. and I would I really function as a producer, and which I think in our company I always have, and I always kind of think of that as really doing whatever has to be done so that everybody involved with the project gets to do what they do best. So I, you know, that's kind of how queen of uh, 
maintenance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but that's such an important role. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Makes everything to, happen. Well, I'd like to add it's, it's, it's a lot more than that because Nan is very involved in every stage of the work we do and, and is really involved in uh, shaping the film and supporting the editorial process in terms of, uh, uh, you know, there's one thing going out and shooting a lot of great stuff, but then you have to create it into something and that has some, um, you know, sensibility and, and, and chronological order. So Nan has a great gift as a writer and as a person who can organize thoughts and she's been instrumental in, in helping do some of the interviews on the film. So she's not giving herself full credit of, of what she really does do. <laughs> That's great. It sounds like you both have a creative role in the process, which is totally. which is excellent. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm really curious to learn more about this technique that you teach, Robin. I think you mentioned the word somatic, and I don't know if I actually know what that means. Um, and certainly um, some of our listeners would be curious what the technique yeah. looks like. So... Soma means body, so somatic is of the body, and things like the Feldenkrais technique or Alexander technique or body-mind centering, those are all somatic practices. And what do they focus on, I guess? Is it like a breathing focus or a different well, focus than most and, classes? you know, I teach something called continuum movement, and this was founded by um, Emily Conrad, who... Um, was a dancer decades ago. She just died at almost 80 a couple of years ago. So, um, but I would say the difference, like when I introduce this to dancers, it's, um, I don't see continuum. It's not really dance. It's not something to replace dance training or to, one could not call it, a dance form, but as a somatic practice, the inquiry is really about embodied life. Like, uh, how are we inhabiting ourselves? And so it's this question, often some, some of these practices do focus on function and supporting that aspect of life. I would say continuum, because it's all about fluidity, is also really even moving into the realm of consciousness in a way. Like, why is a human body mostly water? These are questions that are asked and explored. So, um, you know, water can take on many different forms. It can be very, it can be frozen, it can be very dense, it can be, you know, a raging river, a crashing ocean, um, the water in our tap, the water in our blood, our, you know, we are, everything inside of us is a fluid process. Mm -hmm. And really, when you start to look at life, you start to see how everything's a fluid process. Mm -hmm. So it's really about, ultimately, I would say it's about relationship, which is why it touched me so much as an artist, because I think we're artists in hope of understanding deeper communication and relationship. So for me, it was um, a way to deepen that understanding of really the changing, unfolding scene of what a body is. It's really a planetary process. And our culture tends to think of it as a form Mm -hmm. that we shape, you know, as a 
classically trained dancer, as a young ballet dancer, I heard about, you know, you want to be like a well-tuned machine or an instrument so the choreographer can use you any way they want. And, um, you know, yeah, and, and accomplish the goals. So when I meet dancers, I and introduce this work, I reassure them it's not to replace their training. Um, <laughs> but that um, I see it as being an inquiry into the very substance of the body. And I look at dance as we choose to speak a certain language, the language of ballet, the language of whatever type of modern or the language of this form of dance or that. Form. And I think of them as languages that we learn to refine and master and perfect and be very highly skilled with. But for me, um, continuum is a step really even before that to explore the very substance of of ourselves so that then when we go to inhabit a form of whatever language we're speaking we bring more volume of ourselves and this is a way that I also think it leads to more of that authenticity because the dancer has more reference points of themselves <laughs> to be able to speak to it. I was hoping to ask quickly um, yes. how you're working together in the post-production process because I know that you're working on that currently correct that's right uh, we're currently uh, starting the edit on this project and it's uh, as challenging as everything else has been about this project and that there's a, a, a huge uh, you know uh, you know ability to integrate and 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 uh, weave all these different um, um, you know, layers that we've been talking about. Uh, we have uh, the element of performance. We have the element of the interviews with some of the people who actually come out of the book. We have interviews with some of the vets who have responded to the work. And, of course, we have the Vietnam. Um, I mean, one of the extraordinary things of going to Vietnam with this work is it, it it's, going, it's returning to a place that so much of the uh, experiential events occurred at. So it's really fascinating to, um, I should say, when we started this documentary, uh, none of us knew we were going to go to Vietnam. We This came out of the clear blue sky and that Robin's company was invited to go to Vietnam and perform this. So what you hope for in any good documentary is you go on a journey and things happen that you don't know about. And in this case, the thing that we didn't know about was the opportunity to actually take this work to the country that so much of this, you know, experience came from. So as a filmmaker, you can only appreciate the texture of going to a foreign country and then having the opportunity to film this work in context to, to where these events occurred. So um, getting back on tap to where we are, um, we're in the edit room, we're working with the material, and uh, it's been really quite um, amazing to s step back and see what we've, what we've accumulated and what we've done, and very challenging to position it and, and to tell the story, because we have many stories to tell, um, and how best to tell that story. So we're just in the process of doing that, and uh, we will probably be editing for um, a couple more months before this film is completed. But it's been fascinating to you know to work with all of these different um, uh, components.
Are the three of you sitting together and reviewing some footage? or? Not yet. I mean, Robin's been in Europe, and we actually just did an interview with her today. So I think there's a little bit of a protective dome over everything right now because as just as when Robin's creating there's that really delicate place of you're not sure exactly which threads are going to be woven together so talk to us a little later and we'll be able to (laughs) how many hours of footage do you have well, perform is very deceiving because you shoot a lot of performance with multiple cameras. So right right there, you start getting a lot of material in terms of just multiple cameras and different uh, performances. Um, but to answer your question, I'm sure we have at least uh, 40, 50 hours or, or, or at least of, of material to work with. And and the volume of material isn't as important, of course, as, as the um, the quality and, and, and the, you know, the scenes that you have. I, you know, like Robin, I can't say I work from the heart, but I do work from, I see a film in my head before I can make it. Not to say I know what the film's going to exactly be. I have a sensibility of what I want the film to be. Yeah. I'm an aspiring filmmaker, and I feel like what I always picture is sort of the feeling and atmosphere that I want it to have or that I want people to come away with it. Is it similar to that, sort of the sensation of it or how it'll... Yeah, I think, think, you know, this film has... um, you know, part of it is is historic and that we want to set the tone because we yeah. we spent a lot of time early on talking about the era that it's born from and the division in this country and the tension around some of these things. So I think it's important. And Robin's looking at this big, big topic called war. So we had to kind of think about that. It's a lot to break down. And then you put this thing, this stencil on top of that, this this movement, this choreography that she's created, which is really where everything comes from. So I look at, at the dance as, as the... Um, the, the trigger. It, it's where things come from, and everything else is in context to that. Is there somewhere where our listeners can learn more about the film? Yeah. The new website will be up at robinbeckerdance.org, which you will be able to see information on the film on the homepage. Excellent. Yeah. And we're still fundraising to finish the film, so I'll throw any of those who this interest. I mean, as always, that you know, filmmaking is never a inexpensive effort. So uh, we this has been a humble process. We've we've kind of taken bootstrapped this up, and uh, we've all had a commitment to do this. And and it's uh, it, it's partially why it's taken. I mean, I'm glad it's taken a couple a, a duration and a journey to make because I think that's what good films are about. Um, but it's also had its own, it's had to seek its own level. And, and part of that is we've had to stop and raise a little more money and go back and continue working. Uh, as you both know, the arts is not a necessarily, the performing arts is not necessarily a, a well-funded um, funnel of, of activity. So it's, it's challenging uh, because, you know, we, we work at a high level. We, we work as professional filmmakers and we work with very, you know, good professional people that contribute. Uh, I've spoken to you about this already. 
filmmaking is a team process. It's it's really a collaborative process, and uh, it takes you know a lot of talented people to hire and to put in put in motion to to do what we do. So it's um, it's coming along. We're very very excited to be where we are right now. Well, thank you so much. This was incredible. Uh, we're so excited to release this. And to all of our listeners, again, please uh, subscribe to Pata De on iTunes and please rate and review us. Uh, reviews are really important on iTunes. They factor into some algorithm that gives us more attention on iTunes so that other people can find our podcast and listen as well. So thanks, everybody.